Welcome back to season three of the Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Kiara Marie. I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and root cause protocol consultant. I'm here to share my human experience as well as have powerful conversations with the leaders in the health and wellness space. The Human Experience Podcast began because I truly believe our souls are here to experience a wide range of emotions, make mistakes, own our past traumas that led us to make them, and face our deepest fears in order to grow. The Human Experience is a conversation about self-development, conscious awareness, and normal human responses, and connecting emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. The Human Experience promises to deliver authenticity and diversity. The Human Experience community is a group of humans doing the work so they can live their lives to their fullest potential and are here to break intergenerational family patterns so generations to come can too. At The Human Experience, we're diving deep. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. Thank you so much for being on the Human Experience podcast, Kate. I appreciate your time and I'm so excited for the audience to get to know Kate Deering and how you got to where you are today. And we're also going to bring into the equation your book, How to Heal Your Metabolism. But um, for starters, how are you doing today? I am good. So, you know, interesting world that we're in and, uh, you know, California is pretty much still under a, a fun little lockdown. So not too exciting, but at least we have nice weather. So that- <laughs> that's something I'm super jealous of being on the yeah. East coast for sure. <laughs> yes. We at least pride ourselves in our beautiful sunny weather all the time. So we got that. And what part of Cali are you in again? I'm in s- Southern. So I'm in San Diego. Oh, I hear it's so beautiful out there. I definitely have to make my way over there just for a visit after all yes. this is over. <laughs> right. Awesome. Okay. Well, for, um, for anyone who doesn't know about Kate Deering, I wanted them to get like just a, a little summary about who you are and um, how your healing journey started. Okay. Well, I am, I've been in the fitness industry for a good 25 years now. Um, and I've done everything from run health clubs, run boot camps. I personal train. Um, I do nutritional coaching And for me, it's been a long journey of when you're in the fitness industry, you're always trying the next best thing to help you fitter, leaner, um, whatever it is to make yourself uh, a more healthier human being. And my journey was always doing that and kind of always getting maybe a little bit better. Uh, And I would say probably when I was around 38, that's about 10 years ago, um, I basically hit a physical wall and I was training for some events. I was eating a very clean diet, as they say, and which meant lots of lean meats and egg whites and oatmeal and almond milk and your typical lots of green salads. And everything started to go haywire. And I started to feel horrible, fatigued, got injured all the time. I couldn't compete with my, I couldn't basically perform well at any of my events. And I just was, you know, in my head, I thought, wow, this much be what it feels like to to turn 40 because I was (laughs) a year later. And, uh, and then I came upon, um, Dr. Ray Pete and some practitioners that were kind of using his work and I started reading it and my mind became completely blown. And Mm -hmm. basically it's a basically human physiology approach. And even though I've been in the health industry for 20 or 15 plus years at this point, it's never taught you in this way. It's always in a form of nutrients and kind of what's low calorie and what can help you get leaner and burning body fat. And it's always coming from that approach. 
and the context of this work was very different and it made you look at things completely differently and it completely shifted how I ate, worked out, uh, worked with my clients and my entire like belief system had to shift. It took a while because you had to unwind a lot of ingrained beliefs. Um, but after I became a little bit second nature to me, um, when I would coach people, it was such a paradigm shift, right? Because this system is really based on fueling your cells, improving metabolic rate. And the basis of that is you've got to increase the amount of sugar or healthy sugars your body is consuming, which is basically the exact opposite of what most of us have been taught. And so it became a little bit of a challenge to work with people. I found I was having to go through a lot of explanation in the beginning, which is very costly to them. And so openly, uh, essentially what I decided was I was gonna write something that was a lot easier to digest. And uh, that's where the adventure came in and who knew that it was gonna be a two year experience. But um, yeah, after two years, the book finally came out and um, you know, it, and it's been kind of this guerrilla marketing kind of thing. Um, I've never really formally advertised it, but it's just been a book that when people get a hold of and it all like the light bulbs come on, then it kind of has just had its own heartbeat at this moment. And it just kind of gets uh, shared a lot, which is awesome. Oh my God. No, it's so awesome. I remember, I don't even know how I came across it, but everyone was recommending it. I was like, okay, I'm going to get it. And I love how you broke down all of the science for everyone. So it's really easy to digest and understand. And so now I recommend it to my clients too, just so they have an understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and it's just really empowering. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. And I can relate to your story so much because that's how my health journey started. I was, um, in my 20s, well, I am still in my 20s, but earlier 20s. And I, uh, you know, had a lot of body image issues. And so my entrance into this whole health sphere was fitness. And I became obsessed. And I was taking all the pre-workouts, the BCAAs. I was um, uh, obsessively calorie counting and always looking for a little fat and sugar-free foods that I've been told about and, uh, eating all the chicken, turkey, and broccoli, like I just said. So it was very totally. bland and, and mundane and monotonous. And it just felt like, I don't know, but I did it because I was seeing, um, the results that me, you may have seen too, in the beginning where you Absolutely. were seeing the lean body and you were seeing the muscle tone. And then all of a sudden, these symptoms hit and I was so confused. Like my digestive system just turned off, completely off. My food sensitivities went through the roof and I was really confused. And then, so the first thing to go was dairy. And I think this is the case for a lot of people. Um, and I get a lot of questions like as to why this happens or some people think that they're doomed forever. So I'd love to talk about dairy and your perspective on it and how, how you view it and how one can begin like reintroducing it if that feels good for them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I was the same as you. I didn't have dairy for probably at least three years. And, you know, so it was all the almond milks and nut milks and so forth. And even soy at that time. Mm. And then <clears throat> the beauty of dairy is, as I like to refer to it as the perfect food, because there's essentially a combination of fats, carbs, and proteins in dairy. And kind of depending on what fat works best for you, you can kind of moderate that. Meaning if you go a little low fat, you can get a little bit more carbs in it. If you're having a full fat milk, you have an equal distribution of carbs, fat, and protein. And so what essentially that does is A, it gives you some carbohydrates. It gives you some muscle building and 
uh, tissue building protein. And it also can give you a little bit of fat for the fat soluble nutrients your body also needs. Now, the problem is with a lot of people is they might not digest it well. And especially people that haven't consumed it in a long time might not digest it well. And on top of that, anyone that has a really poor digestive system might not digest it that well. And essentially, normally what happens is your body will start producing the enzyme lactase, which is going to basically break down lactose, which is the sugar in dairy. And so that is produced in your small intestine. So A, if you haven't been consuming dairy in a while and you haven't produced it or needed it, eh, you don't, your body stops doing things, right? I mean, and I think what we all have to learn is your body is always going to adapt to whatever stressors you put upon it. So if you decide no dairy, it's like, why do I need to produce lactose? You're not consuming any, so I won't. So it stops. The other part of that is if you've done damage to your small intestine, right, by eating tons of raw vegetables or processed foods or drugs or anything that could have probably done damage to it, that is also going to affect the production. Cortisol itself is going to affect the production of lactose so or lactase. And so if you've been in a high stress state, which essentially almost every fitness professional lives in that state, mm -hmm. that your body is going to not be able to break this very important sugar down. And so you're going to consume milk and then you're going to get bloating, digestive issues and so forth. Um, some people don't do well just with the casein or even the whey in there. And so again, that always comes back to how is the health of their digestion? I would say out of a hundred people that I've worked with that do not have, that cannot break down milk, 99 of those within a few months can totally utilize and break down and, and utilize dairy properly. And it's just a matter of time and reintroducing it quite slowly and maybe introducing parts of dairy that probably haven't been processed as much as some of the others. Cow's milk tends to be a little bit more highly processed than other milks like sheep or goat. Or if you just get a whole raw or organic cow's milk, that, can, that certainly becomes a little bit more easy to digest. But the key is to introduce it really slow. And, you know, because I always hear people, they're like, I can't digest dairy. And I had a couple of cups yesterday. And I'm like, mm, no, I go. <laughs> and when I say slow, I'm like an ounce a day. And you do that for like a few days. And then if that goes okay, then it goes to two ounces and three. And if you move in that kind of slow, steady manner, usually within a month or so, you're usually fine. Yeah. Of course, that might not be everybody, right? Some yeah. people might have to do a little bit more work on trying to fix their gut before introducing dairy. So it's, this is never a linear healing process. It's not like you're going to start, like if all of a sudden you can't do well on dairy, it doesn't mean you can't have dairy forever. It just means, Hey, you need to work on a few other things first, right? Clean up your, clean up your other parts of your diet, maybe remove a lot of those hard to digest foods, allowing your basic intestines to heal a little bit, introducing something like the raw carrot salad, and then maybe addressing your stress. <laughs> because if you are in a constant fight or flight, like I was probably for most of my life, it's going to start to compromise you. Mm -hmm. And in our world today, that's our norm. And I think nobody, and I talk to people, I don't feel stressed. And I'm like, you're working 60 hours a week. You have two children. You're sleeping six hours a night. You're not eating great. You're skipping meals. I know you don't feel it. <laughs> But they just are so adapted to this life that they don't even know that what they're doing isn't good. They just adapted to the stress mentality and they're living in a level of stress hormones 
And, and even though their health is slowly deteriorating, you know, because the stress hormones are kind of keeping them going, um, they're not super aware that their life is kind of broken. And so until they step away from it, until you're kind of pointing them like, hey, look, all these symptoms you're having are a result of everything you're doing right now. So it's cool that you're going to eat better. But if we don't start addressing some of those other things too, it's like, you know, trying to fix a broken leg and going running every day. It just doesn't work very well. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that this past week. I was like, a lot of us, um, maybe because we're so accustomed to like the Western um, side of medicine where it's like, okay, you get a pill, your problem's fixed and that's it without really taking a deeper dive of like the lifestyle that you're living. And so I feel like some of the people that we might see are just hoping that, you know, the different food swaps might fix things. And then they're forgetting about a really, really big part of the whole wellness puzzle. And that's stress, because like you said, that can inhibit lactase production itself. And then you're never going to be able to digest dairy properly. But I'm, I think that's like a huge relief for some people to hear who haven't been incorporating dairy in their life for probably quite some time, like yourself, like you were free of it for three years. I think I myself was free of it like two years. And I remember experiencing a lot of relief in my symptoms. So I thought I had to be dairy free forever when I eliminated it. I was like, wow, all my bloating is gone and I feel great. And I mean, that's a sign that some repairing needs to take, um, place. And I think that, um, some, some of the things that I swapped dairy for were like the, the vegan butters and not to mention like all of the things that are in those, um, like polyunsaturated fats, which I'm learning from the work of um, you and Dr. Ray Pete, that those guys are incredibly toxic and contribute to a lot of the oxidative stress that we experience in our bodies, therefore creating disease. So, for everyone who doesn't know about polyunsaturated fats, can we explain them and the differences between uh, those fats and saturated fats? Yeah, so you basically kind of have three fats. We have poly, which is many broken bonds, as they say. We have monounsaturated fats, which has one broken bond. And then you have your saturated fats, which there's no broken bonds, right? And so the more saturated it is, essentially the less oxidation damage it can do to your system once it gets into you. And if you look at some of these liquids, so your polyunsaturated fats are your liquid. And so any of your unsaturated fats are always going to be liquid. They're going to be liquid at room temperature, whereas your saturated will be at a solid at room temperature. And at a warmer degree, your, even your saturated fats can be liquefied. So coconut oil, obviously, if you heat it, it turns into liquid. Um, your liquid oils, which is what we've mostly probably in the last 60 years have been told to consume because essentially they've been referred to as the heart healthy liquid oils. And the reason being is they actually have a cholesterol lowering effect. And so because we've all been basing this on the belief that high cholesterol links to heart disease, links to heart damage, that we all should have lower cholesterol without really understanding the physiology of cholesterol. And cholesterol is essentially important for every cell in your body. Without cholesterol, you die, right? What is not good for you is oxidized cholesterol, right? So when it's actually getting stuck in the arteries, and that's possibly, and because some of these liquid oils, how they affect the liver, yeah, they can decrease the liver's ability to produce cholesterol because that's where you produce your own cholesterol. So when we measure cholesterol, it's mostly from the production of our own bodies. It's not from ingested foods with cholesterol. We produce our own and we produce it because our cells need it. 
They basically need it for our optimal respiration. We also need it to build. They are the base bone of all of our steroidal hormones. So cholesterol is the foundation of testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, cortisol. All of those are produced essentially from cholesterol. Also vitamin D is produced from cholesterol. So if you are at a super low levels of cholesterol, you're going to have some sort of hormonal dysfunction. And in fact, studies that they've done for a lot of women and men later in life is they find that the ones that actually have a higher level of cholesterol are much healthier than those that have super low levels of cholesterol, right? Low level of cholesterol is not good for you. Your doctor will say, yeah, it's good. You, you know, you got it. it's 150. Well, there's going to be a problem somewhere else along the line, but your, your doctor is looking through different lenses and lenses that they're basing on that they learn is high cholesterol, bad. Let's get that cholesterol down, right? Let's give you a stand. So anyways, polyunsaturated fats were essentially uh, promoted at this heart healthy food because they found when they gave it to people that cholesterol levels dropped and they all thought, what an amazing thing. We're going to use these now. They're much better than these saturated fats that actually can increase cholesterol levels. So we essentially swapped them, right? Now, butter was now margarine. We started using things like hydrogenated oils, our liquid oils like Crisco. Um, luckily, we don't use hydrogenated as much anymore or trans fats, but we still use a lot of these PUFAs, the nickname for polyunsaturated fat in our cooking, almond oils, nut oils, walnut oils, vegetable oils, seed oils, canola, safflower, sunflower. You can literally look in any processed food, even your organic varieties, they're all going to be made with these oils. And because they're very volatile, because they have many broken bonds, when they're under heat, they have a higher level to oxidize and create more free radical damage. So those are the oils that can actually inhibit respirations of the cells. They can actually inhibit thyroid conversion. They can inhibit digestive enzymes in the gut. So they can have kind of this cascading effect in your entire body that basically can inhibit respiration or metabolism of, of your body. So what they found is that they've done studies on like animals because our job, you know, you know, food manufacturers that are producing uh, cattle or any type of uh, animal for market, they want to fatten that cattle as fast as they possibly can. That's part of their goal, right? Because they don't, they're not really caring about the health right after two or three years, they're going to slaughter it and they're going to feed it to you. So they don't care if it lives 20 years. So they want to get it fat. So what they've learned is, and they've, they've done studies with these, where they've given some of these animals a saturated fat like coconut oil, right? Which you would think a high, very high fat coconut oil. They give it a coconut oil and what ends up happening because coconut oil actually improves respiration and improves metabolism, that those animals would actually lose weight. And so what they found is if they gave them these polyunsaturated fats, these corn and vegetable oils, that's when the, the cows became a lot more fatter, right? It inhibits respiration, it slows metabolism, so they could essentially give it more or less food and it would get fatter, which is basically what we've all been doing for the last 50 to 60 years, right? We've been just shoving ourselves with all of these PUFAs and then dieting and then feeling bad. And we would, you know, it, it all will work to a certain point until it doesn't work, right? Maybe yours was at 25, maybe mine was at 38, um, how I got there for so long, I'm not sure. I had a lot of willpower. And, um, but it, there just comes a point where you're going to hit a wall. And some people might not hit it, but what might start happening is they just, they could be on that kind of diet roller coaster where they do a diet really, really good and they eat less. And then of course it doesn't ever work. 
Um, essentially your cravings are going to kick in. They always will. And they always do. You'll binge back, you'll rebound, you'll go on some other crazy diet and you're just going to continue that circle until, you know, you see it later in life. Women are 40, 50, 60, they're 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight at that point. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it gets, and then their metabolism has just been depleted and, and crushed after so many years of repeated dieting, it's so hard. I mean, I, I talk to women, they're like, I eat a thousand calories and I can't lose any weight, you know? And, and those are the, of course, they're also on the other side is they eventually binge, right? But it's this horrible cycle that they're in. And until you get out and improve that foundation, and one of the, the main things to do is to remove a lot of those polyunsaturated fats, to remove those liquid oils, to remove any foods that contain them. Right. And it's also to be very aware that probably when you go out to a restaurant, that's what they're going to be cooking. And because they're super cheap, they're cheap processed oils that has a huge, you know, it's all circulating with government funding and so forth. But those are the oils that we're basically being sold to. And they're they're harming everybody's health. I don't know. I remember reading the book. Um, oh, uh, fat no, the big fat surprise. Have you read that one? I don't think so. She, um, her name is Nina. I can't pronounce her last name, but she was mentioning the work of uh, Ansel Keys. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how we got to this uh, uh, conclusion that uh, these uh, vegetable oils are health, heart healthy. And there was like missing research or something like that. Um, yeah, he did like the seven countries that he basically left out research, meaning he yeah. studied a bunch of countries and the ones that had the highest intake of saturated fats is he, they, those seven of them had high levels of heart disease, but then there was also ones that had very high levels of saturated fat intake, like France and Holland and had very low levels of heart disease. Mm -hmm. And then there was ones that had very low intake of the saturated fat and had very high levels of heart disease. So he basically kind of cherry picked what the ones that were supporting his data, data yeah. and kind of publicized that. And then there we go. Yeah. And going back to what you said about um, high cholesterol, isn't there like a correlation between that and uh, thyroid function? Like if something's going on with the thyroid, like can't that lead to high cholesterol? That's what it appears to be on paperwork. Exactly. Yeah. Because thyroid hormone is needed to convert cholesterol into your steroidal hormones. So if, if you don't have thyroid or you have poor liver health, or there is actually a thyroid issue, or if you have PUFOs blocking your thyroid, then you are going to have elevated cholesterol, right? So the proof of thing can kind of work in two different manners because it actually works in a way that it can suppress cholesterol conversion in the liver, but it also meaning or production in the liver. So it will inhibit actual production, but it might inhibit also that cholesterol it's producing to actually convert into steroidal hormones. So you, you, you need thyroid hormone and you need active thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. And most of your active thyroid hormone is produced in your liver from your inactive, mm -hmm. your T4. So there's that T4, T3 conversion has to occur. And if it's not, you will have elevated cholesterol. So some people, if you do have elevated cholesterol, it's really important to get your thyroid check and get a full thyroid panel. Um, you still might show subclinical hypothyroidism, meaning your numbers might be okay, but yet you're showing all the signs of hypothyroidism. And if that is the case, then it could be a matter of just working on the diet, removing the PUFAs, eating more healthy sugars and doing, reducing stress that could basically alleviate that problem. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And 
with PUFA, as we talked about all the oils and such, but you had mentioned um, PUFA containing foods. Uh, I talked about nuts and seeds earlier this week, and that's something when I uh, was seeing my functional medicine practitioner, I was put on a paleo template, and with paleo, it's very much like grain-free, um, and I didn't know what else to eat. Quite frankly, I was uh, really confused at that time, but uh, I was leaning more towards these nut-based products, seed-based products, and I was only getting more sick and my digestion, my digestion was getting worse and I was cold all the time. Um, so I know nuts and seeds are an example. What are some other foods? Your nuts and seeds, soy products, um, your legumes will have, I mean, everything has PUFA in it. This is what you can't avoid it completely, right? There is not any food that's not going to have some sort of polyunsaturated fat. Even coconut oil has a percentage of polyunsaturated fat. Yeah, the oils are more of the manufactured uh, seed oils or whatever. I mean, the liquid oils. But yeah, I mean, then nuts and seeds are going to be your biggest cold fruit after that, other than soy. Mm -hmm. And so those foods, I mean, soy needs to be avoided for so many reasons, but that's just one of the 10 that you should avoid it for. <laughs> um, what are some of the well, other reasons someone should Soy is an estrogenic food, right? So a lot of, I mean, I have met so many women that are vegan and they're eating all these soy-based foods and their hormones, I mean, they have the most, the worst PMS. I mean, they have all of these issues. So then they're put on some sort of birth control to help that alleviate. And it's just this cascading levels of dysfunction that is occurring. And then you find out that they're having tofu, you know, uh, sausage and you know, soy cheese and then a soy burger. And, and I did that for a while of my life. I mean, I was into those soy products and I'm looking back, I'm always like, no wonder, like I was so puffy all the time. I mean, was, you know, it all like starts to make sense once you are like, look back in my entire diet history of all the things that I did and, and they still would have all these issues or I still couldn't get lean enough or whatever that was. And so, I mean, Soy itself is also kind of any of the PUFA foods too. They're all like trypsin inhibitors. So again, they're all going to have an issue with how your body breaks down proteins. So sometimes that's why those nuts and seeds, when you eat them, even though they have some level of protein in there, A, they're first bound up in fibers, but they also have trypsin inhibitors in there. So they're actually going to inhibit your protein from even being digested. Mm. So all these people I hear that, well, I get protein from nuts and seeds. And I'm like, a, your body's probably having a hard time breaking that down, right? And depending on how you're eating them, but you have enough polyunsaturated fat that is going to inhibit your thyroid function and your digestive enzymes, but you also have those trypsin inhibitors in there. They're going to inhibit that protein from even being digested. So there's so many factors in the food that it might look good, like, cause nuts, yeah, there has a little bit of protein and it has the heart healthy fats. And then they have some minerals in there. Seems like a good enough food until you kind of understand how it interacts with your body, right? Yeah. Nuts and seeds were built to try to protect themselves, right? Uh -huh. So they have all those anti-nutrients in there so that the other animals don't eat them and they eat them and they get sick. So they learn, oh, I'm not gonna eat that because you know it's trying to grow. And so as humans, we don't, you know, we're making them and, and providing them for people and saying, hey, this is a good source of energy, you know, to take with you. Um, but ultimately it's not. Our digestion does not work well with these foods. Mm -hmm. And certainly because of the high level of polyunsaturated fats. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some that are better. Um, 
if somebody is really, really wanting nuts, I would say macadamians probably your best because they're the highest level of saturated fat in there. Um, cashew and evil hazelnuts are a little bit better than the rest. Um, and if you kind of get them lightly roasted or sprouted, then they're probably better. I just wouldn't do them all the time. Yeah, that was gonna a, be, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of never saying no to anything. I mean, mm -hmm. if it's something you truly love, then you should find a way to get it in. Um, mm -hmm. Babe, if your health is really deteriorated or if your digestion is really compromised, then maybe just wait and then, you know, maybe introduce them back in. But I find if I tell anybody you can never have that again, it's just something happens in their brain and <laughs> that just doesn't work. It's more, hey, can we try not to do it for a week or a month and see how you feel? And maybe by then too, they're just like, you know what? I don't miss it and I don't need it. Mm. Right. Yes. But it's, it's never, you can't ever have it. Yep. I love that perspective so much. Um, because coming from restrictive dieting and stuff, that's the last thing you want to do. It's a huge stressor. Right. And I feel like if your body's craving it, you know, then your body's craving it. Um, I personally found, like I said, when I went on that paleo template diet, I found myself craving these nuts and I always wanted them. I had them every day, um, throughout the day. And I remember literally sitting there and eating spoonfuls of like almond butter, or cashew butter. And I was like, but in retrospect, I'm like, how many of those was I actually eating, especially in a ground up form? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't miss them. I don't, I don't ever crave nuts and seeds personally, but I do get like some clients here and there who are actually like, well, how do you feel about cashews? Like, can I have those? I'm like, for it. Um, but I love what you said about sprouting because that greatly reduces the, uh, like the, the, the phytates and the gut irritating properties that they contain. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, anytime that, you know, like I said, if you can soak them or sprout them, a lot of those anti-nutrients like the phytates will basically be a lot less. Sometimes lightly roasted can help too, but if you're getting ones that are a raw, I wouldn't do those. And if you're getting the ones that are super highly roasted or cooked you know, some of them are actually cooked in other oils. Then again, I, you know, there's always a good, better, best. And if you're going to do it, try to get the best quality you can, obviously, you know, and we all live in different situations. We all have different financial uh, availability to us. So it's always do the best you can with what you have. And that always, you know, you just have to say that's the best. Yep. And when your situation shifts, maybe you can do something different but you can always get better in whatever situation you're in. At least that's my perspective. Mm, I agree. You had just mentioned raw and that made me think of raw cruciferous vegetables. Um, this is something that, again, my functional medicine practitioner and I uh, decided that this was best for me because of my excess estrogen to progesterone ratio. Um, mm -hmm. In order to detox estrogen, I needed a lot of the dim that was found in like broccoli and uh, well, mainly broccoli, but then like the cruciferous properties of these Brussels sprouts and cabbage and just all the cruciferous vegetables. So I was eating, I swear, like seven to nine servings of these vegetables and my digestion was already so wrecked and it just made me feel worse. And so I just wanted to touch on cruciferous vegetables for anyone who's experiencing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think this was one of the, the ones that it, it took me a little bit of time to get over the fact that I couldn't or not couldn't, I said that I shouldn't eat just this uh, 
surmountable amount of raw vegetables, especially the cruciferous, because I would eat tons of cabbage mm. and Brussels sprouts and mm. spinach and kale, and I would put them in smoothies. Oh, yeah. And I just couldn't, right? And and essentially, yeah, I mean, a lot of these cruciferous vegetables, especially in the raw state, the state, they have goicogenic properties also going to have an effect on your thyroid. Not only to the fact that, especially in the raw state, that again, these foods are bound in these uh, fibers that when we are compromised, we cannot break down. Even when we're in a healthy state, we don't break them down great, right? You're still gonna get a bloat even in a healthy state. And so, we always have to again go back to the fact of when we are in this stress state, um, we are going to be, as they say, in that fight or flight state. Whether you are actually running from a bear, your physiology thinks you're running from a bear. And when you are in that state, the thing that is going to go, because your digestive system likes to be in this kind of rest and digest state, right? It needs to be more parasympathetic versus sympathetic. And if it's not, if you're trying to eat it, eat while you're running from a bear, even if you're not, again, technically running from a bear, but if you are stressed and that could be from anything, and that can just be from not eating enough food or you're stressed about work or your relationship or whatever that is, you are going to be compromised. And so when you eat these very raw, high fibrous, low energy foods that are goikadrenic, that have high anti-nutrient properties in them, meaning they're gonna be hard for your system to break down, um, it's not gonna go very well. And yes, they have nutrition in them, but again, that nutrient is very bound up in all of these fibers that if your body can't break down, then guess what happens? You're gonna have undigested food into your, your small intestine, which is gonna create more bowel issues and irritation. And that's when we start to see things like leaky gut, SIBO mm -hmm. and all of these other slow transient time, or it's going to irritate the gut lining and you're going to get diarrhea and you're not even absorb anything. So lots of fun things can happen. Um, normally nothing that is <laughs> anybody really appreciates, but it's all going to, like I said, we, we keep pounding all of these things in a system that is compromised. Mm -hmm. And I, in Southern California, I see it all the time. And some women just can't even invite the thought of consuming more sugars. It's just so, they're so worried that they will lose their physique, that they just keep running on these treadmills of this kind of food because it kind of keeps them lean, but they're, they're miserable. And it's, it's, it's a very sad situation that could, that somebody is, will really compromise their health just for their, I mean, I get, I mean, I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, but there does come a point when, you know, that when it gets so bad and you're starting to be on medications and so forth that you've really got to look at like, what am I doing? Like I need to start addressing my health and how do I get better versus just how do I stay thin? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was very much that girl that was fearful of sugar because of everything that even in some of my training, like everything that we've ever been told, um, the, the rise of sugar consumption and, uh, leading to all of this disease in our bodies, including diabetes. And when I found just like you, like the work of Dr. Ray Pete, I was like, what? And, but I feel like, um, the backlash I kind of get is like, well, I, I feel terrible. Like after eating sugar and like, right. what do you mean? Like what, this is good for me. How, when I don't feel so good after eating it. So why is that? And how can someone begin mitigating that? So when somebody, and, and then, and understand when I, we're talking sugar, right? So normally what I'm referencing is healthy 
nutrient-filled sugars, which are usually fruits, juice, roots, sugars in dairy, honey. Um, I'm not opposed to white sugar. In fact, in fact, some people, that's one of the only foods they can digest. So I have to work within that. But um, it's basically your pure energy source. You preferably always want it with nutrition because sugar in itself can be very metabolic, meaning it can speed things up. And if we start speeding things up and you don't have any nutrition, um, other cracks are going to show up. So uh, essentially for someone that hasn't been consuming sugar for a while or been restricting, um, if you consume too much, you know, A, it can create a blood sugar dysregulation. Um, again, we always have to imagine whatever stress we put upon ourselves, our body will adapt. And restricting sugar is a stress. Restricting your, your body's favorite form of energy is a stress. And so it's going to compensate for that. And that's why you see people that have gone keto, low carb, even paleo, when they stop, they start inner sugars back in, if they do it too quickly, they're going to overshoot. And again, now you have too much uh, circulating because your body doesn't know what to do with it right now. And what, how your physiology works is when you are in a kind of working state, your body does prefer to use sugar as energy. However, if you've taught it to become a fat burner, whether you're keto or low carb or whatever, when you start reinducing that sugar, they're going to compete. And what normally happens is, and this is, you'll kind of see this in the diabetic state because that's kind of what these other diets are kind of mimicking or is you're gonna to have too much fat in the blood. And when you have too much fat, it inhibits the sugar from getting into the cell. And so you'll end up seeing those very high blood sugar levels, which you can have by uh, very high insulin levels and you just start to kind of create this stress being. And that's, I think what happens in the medical industry is they study people that are already sick. They study people that don't utilize sugar or cannot utilize it properly so that when they eat it, they see a lot of elevated high, high blood sugar levels. And so they're like, oh, we need to remove the sugar. Mm -hmm. and, and so without even understanding, okay, here's a human that's in a very stressed place. And when you're in a stress metabolism, you're gonna actually have a lot of fat in the blood, right? Diabetics have a lot of fat in the blood. It's not just high blood sugar. You can have both, but ultimately that stress cycle is gonna produce a lot of fat because it's always gonna be using that secondary reserve of resources because it's not getting enough fuel through your body or it's getting enough and it just can't use it because there, again, there's too much fat in the blood. Mm -hmm. So even someone that can be thin, right, can create that state. So if they eat too much sugar and they don't balance it properly, they're not gonna feel good because they're gonna produce that hyperglycemic feel and that doesn't feel good. So for someone that hasn't been consuming sugar, again, it's like small and slow steps. You know, maybe it's like, hey, do what you're eating, but add two to three ounces of orange juice into that meal or a half a cup of fruit and then see how you feel, right? And it's always kind of tapering it into a place that feels good to them um, because everybody's a little bit different. And I always find that, you know, if you're younger, you can move a lot faster through this process. Mm -hmm. um, if you're older, it's really slow and steady steps. And, mm -hmm. but, you know, as, I mean, as people start to reintroduce it slower, what I found in a week or two, they will literally start feeling better, especially if they've been in a super low energy state. And I mean, I'm not, I don't know how your experience was if you kind of overshot it initially, <laughs> like a lot of people. 
I um I think when I read your book, I don't even remember what I started off with. I think I can't remember, but the I think I did get a little crazy. <laughs> Not crazy, but I, I I reintroduced dairy and sugar at the same time. And I think there was a phase where I gained a little bit more weight because I probably didn't do it as um, slowly as I should have. Yeah. But then everything just recalibrated as I like um, started doing more of the carrot salad. Um, which is so good, by the way. Oh my gosh. I, I saw your video this morning. And I was like, oh, I love it. That was my experimental video because I was <laughs> totally experimenting last night. And then I was like messing. I'm like, this is fun. This is, I'm like, okay, we're going to try this because I, that I get more questions about the carrot salad than like probably anything I post. I really? mean, and it, everything, I mean, and it's like, it's carrots, it's vinegar, it's, it's coconut oil salt. <laughs> and it's like, 20 million. I would never think that there were so many questions about this, this very simple salad, but there are. I think uh, people must be so fascinated because um, it has been said to uh, provide many benefits and people are like, like something tangible that they can do every single day, I guess. And um, yeah, but it's really good. I love it and recommend it to all my clients. I, I batch make it like you do too, because mm -hmm. I was finding myself having to shred carrots every single time and was less likely to do it. But um, no, I, I also find with incorporating more sugar in my lifestyle, uh, mainly from fruits, maple syrup and honey, um, even like white sugar, I don't feel deprived. I feel more nourished now than ever. And I remember the days where I would like have to hide my food, hide my dessert and be ashamed if I consumed dessert and um, was on top of that, having intense cravings for them too. Um, and would save up my calories for I mean, that end of dessert or end of the day um, dessert. So if anything, it's just been more helpful to just actually eat the easy to digest sugars. Um, and I know we also get some sugars from, well, everything breaks down into glucose from like starches too, but what is your take on those and things like grains as well? Um, so again, grains are one of those, I mean, I certainly write about it and certainly when I reintroduced it, I, I gave up all grains, um, initially for myself, even like the sourdoughs, but I mean, grains are much harder for your body to break down and they are hundred percent glucose. So if anything, they might give you a kind of a bigger spike in blood mm -hmm. sugar levels. Um, again, like you said, even though everything does break down into glucose, something like a fruit that has a fructose component doesn't have as much of a blood sugar response as something like a piece of bread. And it's, you know, and again, it, it all comes down to what your body can digest. Um, the grains in the States, I find complete garbage um, <laughs> because unfortunately. And I, and I find that people that are in Europe can actually do much better. And if they feel like they have a gluten issue in the States, they go to go to Europe and they have no issues. So I feel like we've hybridized our seeds here so much. A lot of the breads have a higher gluten content in them. And it's just not easy for people to break these down. They start causing a lot of gut issues. And then usually if you have a gluten issue, that's going to create a lactose issue. And that's going to make you not be able to break down lactose. So then you, right. So these, those two usually go together. And so yeah. that's why, you know, every doctor's like, you need to give up all bread and all dairy. And I'm like, well, no, um, <laughs> you know, you can 
give up bread maybe initially, because again, if, you're, if your digestion is really compromised, I would say give up that for a bit. And then you can reinduce some bread, like sourdough, because of how it's levied and the fermenting process, there's a really low level of gluten in there. So most people can digest it pretty well. Um, and so other ones like a masa harina, same kind of thing, you can usually digest that pretty well. Um, but the other seed or nut breads or these like whole wheat ones and super processed, A also because they usually have a lot of uh, added nutrients in there. Um, mm. So, and they usually have high iron or added iron in there. So that stuff you really want to avoid. Um, if you can get bread made by a local bakery or you can make it yourself, um, then hey, give that a go and see how that feels with you. Mm -hmm. um, but if, again, if that's still making your digestion a little upset, still compromised, then give it up for a while and then maybe reintroduce that back in. You know, this is always a process of try it. Doesn't mean you can't always have it, just means you can't have it right now until you get a little bit better. And mm -hmm. so that's why it's a stepping process. So I, I always have the, the, the philosophy that we actually want to do the least amount to get the, the, the result we're looking for. Right. And so, hey, if just give it taking out the I mean, just having a carrot salad and getting you some more sugars and everything is great. Cool. Then that, that that's where we're at. And we can do that. Right. And you and everything's good with you and all your symptoms are removed. Then that's all we need to do. Um, usually that's not the case for most people. Um, they usually have to do a, quite a bit more and then can kind of do uh, add some other things back in. But, you know, it, this is never about restricting everything and you can only have this and this. this. It's like, OK, we're going to try this and see if that works. And if that doesn't, then we have to do another step. And if that doesn't work, then we might have to do another step. And so, you know, it, this isn't about trying to make you miserable ever. And, you know, and just give, even getting back to the sugars, I think it's important for people to know that, you know, cause I think a lot of people have that philosophy of like, hey, if I have sugar, then I'm gonna eat all the sugar. If I have anything sweet, then I eat 10 times that, right? If I have a cookie, I eat 50 cookies. And I go, that, only happens when you restrict. And if you stop restricting and you start, and my, you know, this was like the, the biggest mind blow for me because literally for all my life, I crave sugar and I would binge. And, and, I, would, and I had really, really strong will, willpower. So when I would be dieting down, I could go months without um, eating anything sweet, right? And I would want it to kill people, but I could do it. <laughs> um, and and when I learned that I can actually give it to myself throughout the day in small doses or in big doses now, um, for the last 10 years, I haven't binged one time. I have had a box of, um, I just saw them in there again, of uh, Girl Scout cookies that I bought two years ago. I had two boxes. I think it took me one year to eat one whole box. Um, wow. Cause I can have one cookie and I'm like, I'm good. I can, it's just that, it, like the fact that if you would have told me I could do that, 15 years ago, I would say that is impossible. It'll never happen. I'm just super strong willpower. Um, but no, I can. And you know, and you, you just don't have that craving. Like your brain doesn't have to constantly <laughs> running and telling you, you can't have that. You can't have that. Okay. This is what you're going to eat. And okay. You can't, you can save those calories. It just stops. Mm, yes, I agree. I was the same way. It was either all or nothing. Like I, can't touch it or I will eat the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but it's just so much different now. It, it's, it really is. And I, I love your approach and perspective. Um, with 
I don't know. I don't know if you mentioned this in your book, but did with your health issues, did you ever lose your cycle or anything from like restrictive dieting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did in college. Um, So in my college years, I was a very strict 1200 calorie a day girl um, Mm -hmm. with binging alcohol on the weekends. That was kind of my cycle. And, and then I would do two hours of cardio, like every single day. So I worked in the gym in college. Okay. That was like my job. So half the time I'd be doing stuff and I'd go get on the bike or something for 30. I mean, it, everything allowed me to live my addictions per se. Mm -hmm. And my, my mental addiction to the exercise to thin. And I had five other roommates and, um, you know, I would weigh everything (laughs) and I was freezing all of the time. I mean, just literally walk around my, uh, our apartment with a space heater because I'd be so cold all the time. And I, you know, everyone's like, it's just because you don't have any body fat. And that was basically what I told myself because I was pretty thin. Um, but you know, I had just, and I didn't have my period for six months at that time. So how did you get it back and how long? So that took six months. So six months. Yeah. I got out of college and I think I started eating more normally. Um, I started, I actually went and worked at a health club and I started eating more. And so it came back for me. It wasn't anything in particular that I tried to do. Um, but I think the, the sheer amount of cardio I was doing at that time and the tw- a 1200 calorie diet gone. Right. Mm. So I'm guessing you lost yours. No, I didn't oh, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, I never lost my period, but I did have like irregular cycles, um, like clotting, like heavy bleeding. Um, but mine, I, I guess also along with the heavy bleeding, it was also very light. So it didn't last very long and things have since normalized, especially since incorporating that raw carrot salad. Um, so speaking of exercise, we obviously seen the effects of over-exercising. How have you found your balance? What does that look like today? So today, again, I have literally tried to do everything from not doing any exercise just to see what I could do and how long I could go and keep my physique. So I've gone up to like six months without really doing any sort of regimented exercise, which again, if you had told me, could I have done that 10 years ago? There was no way I could have not exercised. I was too psycho. I mean, I had to do something every day. Maybe one day I wouldn't do it, but literally I would not be able to relax until I worked out. So now it's like 30, 45 minutes of training weights, um, usually full body workouts, some yoga, and then the rest is stuff I enjoy. It could be walking, it could be hiking, it could be anything of that sorts, but it's nothing like it used to be. Um, it is toned down a significant amount. And what I have found is I can do way less and still have very good results. Before mm-hmm. it was, you know, I went from two hours of cardio in college when I started working at gyms, I would do one hour of weights and one hour of cardio. Wow. Um, so it was probably a little bit of, yeah. I mean, I think everything I did to, to try to gain muscle, then the next hour was tearing it all apart um, because I would just, just, just keep driving. And I never understood <laughs> that whole time. I mean, it was 10 years. Um, like how, I mean, I, and I was strong, get me, but I was never super lean at that point. And I, ne- I just, I, I don't understand. I'm like eating my you know, protein bars and my protein drinks and my soy 
and I'm doing all my workout and I'm just not super lean. I don't understand it. And so, you know, I'm like, mm, now it all makes sense. I mean, mm. I, I just was just, and I ruining any result. A, I wasn't allowing my body to heal. And just, again, all that repetitive cardiovascular ex exercise was just probably destroying any sort of muscle I was probably building. And, you know, so what you learn is, hey, you can do way less and you can go heavy or go moderate. I don't go super heavy anymore. Um, and I can keep my results, stay healthy, good muscle tone. And, you know, I don't, I'm not in the gym 20 hours a week. Yep. I, um, I, I relate to this so much because I was very much, and I, I still kind of am like I, but I've learned how to, um, use it to my advantage. I was very much like that go, go, go kind of person and had to work out six days out of the week. And it was hard for me to sit still on that seventh day. I didn't feel productive. I didn't feel worthy. Um, and I don't know, maybe you can relate to that and just having that like achievement, um, and that accomplishment type of personality, like, unless I do this, then I won't feel a certain way and so forth. So I don't know if you can speak to that with like, yep. It was health. a very psychological thing. I mean, if I had a flight at 6am, I would get up at 4am or 3.30 and at least do something, right? Yeah. I couldn't not. Christmas day, because I used to run health clubs, I would go into the gym and work out by myself on Christmas day, because I had a key and get my workout in. Um, it just, it was, a, it was a mental addiction to it. And, you know, I, and I, and I think it was me. It's like, I have to work out or if I eat, I mean, I had to like punish myself first on some level, or I had to give myself some sort of permission to eat more. So I'm like, well, at least go work out or do whatever. I mean, yes. it, it was a 24 hour going on my brain constantly. What do I eat? Okay. You got to work out. It became easier once I became came out to California. You know, I mean, I, I started to eat a lot better out here. Um, I didn't quite have this. I went through the, the Paul Check Institute and at least I was doing a lot better and I understood things better. Um, but it was still not, it, it, you know, everything, like I said, you, you go through your journey and you find things that are better. Like, you know, people find veganism and it, maybe it was better than their processed food diet and you get better. But then you find that has cracks as well. And so this has been the only approach that I've done for 10 years. And of course, you know, I mean, doesn't mean that I don't have stressors and things don't get thrown off, but I can always kind of get myself back on. And, you know, and it, I like it because I always learn about myself and I'm like, well, that's weird and interesting. <laughs> and so what's going on there? And so as long as I always go back to how does your body run? Okay, well, let's talk about that. And let's go into that foundation. Okay, if this is happening to you, then this is what you're missing. You could maybe you're not having enough zinc. So then I'm like, you know, all right, we're going to be packing on some oysters later. And then boop, right. So, you know, there are just some things that I have learned in 10 years that I'm still to this day, I'm always amazed how well they work if people do them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like carrot salad, carrot salad, carrot salad, do it every day. It's just zinc, oysters. <clears throat> if people will do those, some every single day. <laughs> and they're I'm like, and it took me a while to get there to start doing them that way. But if they do them and people, I will get, I go, just eat two, three oysters every day. Just do it. I know, I know you've had all these skin issues for 10 years, but if you can just do that and just commit to it. And then in two weeks, they are like, I cannot believe my skin is clear. <laughs> I'm like, 
I go, I know. I go, I go, I just need to do consistently. Just try, you know, and if I can get people to do it and they're like, I. I wanted to take a brief moment to chat about the relaunch of the Nourished Method, which is my very own signature course that is 12 weeks long and it's going to look look a little bit different this time around. So if you were with me last year, I launched the Nourish Method for the first time ever. Thanks so much to the women who joined and gave me incredible feedback for this round so that things can be new and improved. Things are going to look a little bit different. No weekly calls. Um, I feel like a lot of the women got a lot of the answers that they needed from the course and just communicating with me via Messenger and the Facebook community. So that's exactly what we're gonna do this time around. We're gonna have a private Facebook community where all your questions and concerns are gonna be answered. I'll be in there every single day, so it's really no different. Um, The course will be dropped all at once. All 12 weeks of modules will be dropped all at once. You'll have the knowledge, wisdom, and tools that I have literally in this course. Um, You'll get trackers, um, meal plans, uh, supplement guides, um, grocery guides, literally so many things, checklists, like the whole nine yards, guys. I'm not going to leave you out in the dark. I want you to succeed. I'm also teaming up, teaming up with some really awesome women in the field when it comes to movement and meal plans. So you'll get set up with that. You'll get the whole works. Um, I'm really excited for this round, you guys. And the early bird special starting on February the 4th is $297, paying full. There's also a payment plan option for that, and the price will go up at the end of the week of the 4th um, to $4.97, so be sure to sign up early and let me know if you have any questions on Instagram. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Experience Podcast. I always appreciate your love via Instagram DM, so feel free to take a screenshot if you're listening, and be sure to tag me on Instagram. And of course, if you feel called to, I would love, love, love to see you leave a five-star rating and review so that others can hear my voice too. Until next time.